We'll be in Matthew chapter 13, verses 24 through 30, and verses 36 through 43, though we're only going to focus on 24 through 30 today. This was one of those sermons where you started out on oh, Monday, Tuesday, thinking you would do all this, and then you uh, changed gears in the midst. So there's going to be a part one of this sermon, and then next week there will be a part two. So uh, to, to hear Jesus' actual interpretation of this parable, you have to come back next week. We we're only going to focus on the parable itself mainly uh, this morning in verses 24 through 30. But we'll read both the parable and Jesus' interpretation of it for the disciples. So Matthew 13, beginning in verse 24, he put another parable before them saying, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared also. And the servants of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? He said to them, An enemy has done this. So the servant said to him, Then do you want us to go and gather them? But he said, No. Lest in gathering the weeds you root up the wheat along with them. Let both grow together until the harvest, and at the harvest time I will tell the reapers, gather the weeds first, and bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. And then skipping to verse 36, then he left the crowds and went into the house, and his disciples came to him saying, explain to us the parable of the weeds of the field. He answered, the one who sows the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world, and the good seed is the children of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one, and the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the close of the age, and the reapers are angels. Just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so will it be at the close of the age. The Son of Man will send His angels and they will gather out of His kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father. He who has ears, let him hear. Father, we, we beg you right now for ears. We, we want to hear. Father, we want to mine the riches of this passage and hear from you what you want Oni Baptist Church and all those gathered with us to hear this morning. And so we ask, Holy Spirit, that you would be with us, that you would open our eyes and open our ears, that you would be merciful to us and, and give us the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. We, we pray that you would uh, cast away all distractions that we may have brought in here from this morning or this past week, and we pray that you would help our hearts and minds focus on what our Lord Jesus Christ says, that we might hear and that we might obey, that we might grow, that we might be humble, that we might, might be moved to, to uh, do all that you want us to do, Lord Jesus. So help us and be with us, we beg you, for Jesus' sake, amen. Last Lord's Day, Jesus taught us more deeply about those who reject Him. 
uh, and why those who reject him reject him and why those who receive him receive him. We saw that it is given to them to know Christ or it is given uh, to them uh, 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 not to know Christ. It's given to them to know or it's, it's not given to them to know. We saw that Jesus spoke in parables both to reveal truth to those who are his sheep and to conceal truth from those who are not his, who are the goats. And so we have to be given these truths. We have to be given the knowledge of God. We have to be given the knowledge of the gospel. And God gives it to some and we, he withholds it from others. And this is why Jesus spoke in parables. Today we see Jesus tell another parable describing his kingdom. The parable known as the wheat and the tares or the, the wheat and the weeds. I want to read that parable again. Read it with me. Verses 24 through 30. He put another parable before them saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared also. And the servants of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? He said to them, An enemy has done this. So the servant said to him, Then do you want us to go gather them? But he said, No, lest in gathering the weeds you root up the wheat along with them. Let both grow together until the harvest, and at the harvest time I will tell the reapers, gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. Beloved, notice first that Jesus is here again teaching with a parable. Jesus is a teacher. Jesus is a preacher. Uh, this is why right now we give so much time to the teaching and the preaching of the Word of God because Jesus did. We love Jesus. We want to obey Jesus. We want to imitate Jesus, emulate Jesus. We want to do things like Jesus did it. And so why, why in churches do, do, do the faithful ones often give so much time to the teaching of the Word of God? Why? Because we see Jesus do it. We see Jesus do it. And God, in His infinite wisdom, as He composed His Word for us, gave us so many instances and examples and, and recorded in His Word of Jesus' teaching. And so we love Jesus. We want to follow Jesus. We want to obey Jesus. And so Jesus is the teacher. Jesus came preaching. And so we will follow him in his example in our church gatherings, in teaching and preaching. And as he's doing that, he's doing so in parables and he's both revealing truth to those who have ears to hear and he's concealing truth by speaking in parables. And, and here he speaks of, of the kingdom of heaven again giving us an, an analogy or a comparison. He says in verse 24, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to. And I want to take just a little time here to talk about the kingdom of heaven and how we as believers should think about the kingdom of heaven. Jesus is saying here, I'm going to tell you this parable to show you this is what the kingdom of heaven or the reign of God is like. 
The kingdom of heaven is the reign of God, the the rulership of God. R.T. France says this is what it's like when God is at work, is is what Jesus is saying. When he says uh, 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 the kingdom of heaven is compared to this. I'm going to show you how the kingdom of God is at work. I'm going to show you what it's like when God is at work. And the kingdom has come with Christ. The kingdom has come with Jesus Christ, and yet there's more to come. Jesus the King has come. He reigns. He's here in their midst. The kingdom of God is the reign of God, and this reign of God will increase and grow and grow. And so theologians speak about how, uh, uh, in many things, but in the kingdom, there's the already kingdom has come in Christ, and there's the not yet. There's more to come. You see the kingdom spoken of throughout the New Testament in different ways, and they all mean the same thing. If, if you follow certain teachers, they come up with all kinds, well, the kingdom of God is this, and the kingdom of heaven means this, and the kingdom of Christ is this, and the kingdom of the Father is that, it's this, this, this. No, it's all the same thing. <laughs> it's all the same thing. The kingdom uh, of heaven, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of the Son of Man mentioned in this text is also mentioned as the kingdom of the Father. Mm. Jesus is God. It's the kingdom of the Son, it's the kingdom of the Father, it's the kingdom of God, it's the kingdom of heaven. These are all the same thing. There's different ways of speaking of the same reality. One pastor describes the kingdom of God this way, the kingdom is God's reign through God's people over God's place. The kingdom is God's reign through God's people over God's place. Brian Schwartley states this about the kingdom, the central meaning of the kingdom of God concerns Christ's authority and rule as a reward for his redemptive obedience. It is not simply Jesus ruling as God, but Christ the mediator, the God-man reigning over a kingdom of grace. And in a very helpful article and sermon, Brian Schwartley gave seven different ways the Bible speaks of the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. And I think it will be helpful as we enter into this this meditation upon the kingdom uh, parables if, if we think about those seven different ways that God's word speaks of the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. Shortly writes, one, sometimes the phrase kingdom of heaven refers specifically to the visible church. What is the visible church? One author comments, the visible church comprises all of those who claim to be or identify as followers of Christ, whereas the invisible church comprises all those who really are followers of Christ. (laughs) So, So the visible church is the church gathered here, or people here who claim to be Christians, claim to be followers of Jesus. That's what we can see with our eyes. We, we, we see people who claim to be Christians, who maybe come to church, who maybe even uh, become members of a church. But the Bible also warns that on the judgment day, as we saw in Matthew 7, on the judgment day, there are going to be lots of people, many, many, many people who call Jesus Lord, who are members of churches, who come every Sunday, and Jesus is going to say to them, depart from me, you workers of iniquity, I never knew you. And so the invisible church is those who really go into heaven. Not just those who show up on Sunday sometimes or those who join a church or those who are baptized. I mean, we as elders do our best to ensure that those we baptize and those who join are born-again believers. I mean, we, we have membership classes. We do interviews. We get to know people. We try our best. But even then, 
There can be weeds in the church. The visible church and the invisible church. Sometimes in the New Testament, when the kingdom of heaven is used, it refers to the visible church. Matthew 16, 18. Jesus said, I say to you that you are Peter and on this rock I will build my church, 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 and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it and I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. You see that? Build my church, I'm going to give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven so that connection between kingdom of heaven and the church there and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. The Westminster Confession of Faith says the visible church is the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. Paragraph 25, 2. And so that's one way to think about the kingdom of heaven. But see, people get into trouble when they take one way and then they apply it everywhere. And so that's why it's helpful to know there's seven different ways the Bible can speak of the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God. So number two, often the kingdom of God is used as an equivalent for eternal life or salvation. Jesus used the phrase in such a manner when he spoke to Nicodemus. John 3, 3, most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. In other words, unless God's Holy Spirit comes upon you and takes out your heart of stone and gives you a heart of flesh so that you do delight in God and, and, and those songs, that song that we, Heidi sang and we sang, my treasure, right? <laughs> you, 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 you begin to find God as your joy and pleasure and delight and, and you love him and he, he, he's where you, you, your life is animated by. He's who animates your life. Even when you lose everything. <laughs> That's one way God sometimes does the sifting before the final judgment. He'll take everything away from somebody and they'll curse God and die like Job's wife said. But unlike her, Job lost everything and said, Lord, you've given and Lord, you've taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And he worships God. You know, your spiritual life is not mainly uh, put on display when you get your blessings on. <laughs> The maturity of believers and, 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 and their spiritual life is most revealed when they lose everything they love and want and desire and they still say, God is enough. And that, you got, you got to be born again for that. I mean, we can fake this. You can fake praise breaks. You can fake preach. But if God takes everything you love from you, what will you do then? If you're born again, if you're born again, you, you sort of get in Satan's face and say, God is enough. I love you, God. You are everything. You're more precious. You're more loving. You're more beautiful. And so this is one way that, that Jesus speaks of the kingdom of God, that the Bible speaks of the kingdom of God. Those who are born again, most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Friend, are you born again? Are you born again? If you're not, ask God, calls me to be born again. Lord, calls me to be born again. Uh, and sometimes I still pray that prayer. I believe I'm born again. I believe I'm a Christian. But sometimes I look at myself and say, how can you feel this way, think this way? Lord, if I'm not saved, save me now. <laughs> you don't have to struggle over assurance of salvation. Just ask him to save you now. Am I saved and I'm not saved? Well, just ask him to save you now. 
You must be born again to enter the kingdom of God. Third, another way the kingdom of God is spoken of in the Bible, it's used in a sense of future salvation. This meaning can refer to entering heaven and or the perfection of the consummate, which means making complete or perfect kingdom at Jesus' second coming. So 1 Corinthians 15, 50, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. In other words, you, you, you're going to have a spiritual body. You're going to be transformed into his likeness. Now, it is a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a physical body, but, but, but it is spiritual. A spiritual, physical body that you will be transformed, a glorified body that you will get. That's final salvation. That's final glorification. The Bible speaks of the kingdom of God that way, entering into that. Fourth, the phrase kingdom of God can refer to the privileges and honors connected with the kingdom. The privileges and honors connected with the kingdom. So Israel, the covenant people of God, uh, as an elect nation, had received the law and the means of grace. They rejected the Messiah and the gospel. Therefore, they were denied all the privileges of the visible church. This is spoken of in Matthew 21, 43. Therefore, I say to you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a nation bearing the fruit of it. And so it has to do with those outward privileges that the Jewish nation had received. They'll be taken away from you and given to a nation bearing fruits of it. In other words, the Jewish nation has rejected the Messiah, Jesus, the King, and so we're going to go to the Gentiles, to the nations, to preach the gospel, that they might be saved. Number five, the kingdom of God can refer to the reign of Christ within the hearts of believers. The reign of Christ within the hearts of believers. Luke 17, 21. For indeed the kingdom of God is within you. Now I know some of your translations say in the midst and some of, uh, some of them say in the midst and then have a note within you and there's a little debate over uh, what that is. But the bottom line is Jesus does reign in your heart if you're a Christian. <laughs> Colossians three fifteen. Let the peace of Christ rule in your heart. One of my favorite prayers in the Bible is Ephesians 3, where Paul prays that, 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 they, that, that Christ would dwell in their hearts. He's praying for these Christians that Christ would dwell in their hearts. Isn't Christ already in their hearts? Well, yes, but there's always more, right? More uh, uh, submission to the lordship of Jesus, even in the believer's heart. And so Jesus reigns in the hearts of believers. Number six, the expression the kingdom of God is sometimes spoken of as a message as something that can be preached. Luke 4.43, Jesus said, I must preach the kingdom of God to the other cities also because for this purpose I have been sent. There we see again, Jesus naming his purpose is to preach, is to preach, I've been sent to preach the kingdom of God. He's preaching the kingdom of God. Christ sent the apostles to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick, Luke 9. And then finally, number seven, the expression kingdom of God is used to describe Christ's work in the whole world. The expression kingdom of God is used to describe Christ's work in the whole world. And this is the sense in which it's used in this particular parable. And we're going to talk a lot more about this next week. I'm going to give you a little preview right here. Shortly writes, this sense is clearly broader than the visible church. See, a lot of people misinterpret this parable. And, you know, Jesus clearly says when he interprets it, the field is the world. But there are some really sharp theologians that we respect a lot who say that it means the, the, the church. 
world church, world church. But somehow they think it means church. <laughs> they do the same thing in Matthew 8, uh, Matthew 18, talking about church discipline. Tell it to the church and they interpret it, take it to the elders, our Presbyterian brothers. This sense is clearly broader than the visible church. We find this broader meaning in the parable of the tares or the weeds among the wheat. In this parable, a man sows good seed in his field. In our Lord's exposition of this parable, he identifies the man as himself, the son of man. The good seeds are Christians, the sons of the kingdom, and the field is the world. Jesus comes and establishes many converts or disciples in the world. Satan attempts to destroy Jesus' work in the world, his crop, by mixing hypocrites or counterfeit Christians among real believers in the world. Our Lord is not merely speaking about the church, although the church is included in the terms used. He is speaking of the great conflict that occurs in the field of the world. Satan plants the bad seed not merely to corrupt the visible church, but also to corrupt everything that is under Christ's lordship in the world, whether the family, civil government, business, etc. When Jesus speaks of the kingdom in verse 41, it is quite clear that he is purging the whole world of evildoers, not merely the church. The Son of Man will send out His angels and they will gather out of His kingdom all things that offend and those who practice lawlessness. And so that's the seventh way the Bible uses the term kingdom of God and that's the way it's used in the parable that we're studying right now. So we see back to the text in verse 24, a man who sowed good seed in his field. So we... We see that Jesus has introduced this. He's telling us a parable about what the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven is like. And, and he begins by telling us that a man goes and sows seed in his field. This man is the master. This man is the master of verse 27 because the servants come and ask the master, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? So the man sowing is the same as the master of the field. He owns the field. He's sowing good seed that will produce a good crop. Verse 25, But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. D.A. Carson comments, The sleeping men here doesn't imply that the servants were neglectful, but the enemy was stealthy and malicious. So an enemy came while the servants were at rest. It wasn't wrong for them to be at rest. It wasn't their fault, but the enemy was sly and stealthy. The enemy hates the master and is fighting against the master's purposes to have good and successful harvest. And to do this, the enemy sowed weeds or tares among the wheat. Again, D.A. Carson comments, what he sowed was weeds, almost certainly bearded darnel or darnel, which is botanically, botanically is a word meaning pertaining to plants, close to what a difficult, uh, uh, it's d difficult to distinguish from it when the plants are young. So, so this, this weed, it's hard to tell the difference when they're, when they're young. It's hard to tell the difference between the wheat and the tares, between the weeds uh, and the wheat. I remember growing up in the South, we would have, uh, I, I went to this Baptist church and they'd have this big tent revival with sawdust and the scariest sermon the preacher would preach is on the wheat and the tares. I mean, he had everybody convinced by the end of the sermon that y'all were tares. You're weeds, you're fake Christians and you need to come forward and get saved. I mean, everybody got saved that night. He scared everybody out of hell. But they look the same. It's hard to tell the difference when they're young. 
The roots of the two plants entangle themselves around each other, but when the heads of grain appear on the wheat, there is no doubt which plant is which. So after some growth and after some maturity, yes, then you can tell the difference. Verse 26, so when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds also appeared, appeared also. So the good seed grew up and produced wheat. This is the, the purpose of the, the master, the sower. But the weeds appeared right along with the wheat. And at first, it is hard to tell the difference, but when they mature, it's very clear. Verse 27, and the servants of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? So the servants come and ask the master, what's going on? You sowed good seed, right? How did the weeds get here? Verse 28, he said to them, an enemy has done this. So the servant said to him, then do you want us to go and gather them? So the master tells his servants what happened. He knows he sowed good seed, and he knows an enemy crept in and sowed weeds. So then the servants want to know if the master wants them to go and immediately get rid of all the weeds. This is not good. This is not right. This is heeding progress in their minds. And so should we go and, 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 and do weeding and get rid of all the weeds? You want us to do that right now? Verses 29 and 30, but he said no. Lest in gathering the weeds, you root up the wheat along with them. Let both grow together until the harvest, and at harvest time, I will tell the reapers, gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into the barn, into my barn. So the master says, no, don't go weeding just yet. You might harm the wheat if you do that. Be patient. Hold on. Let them grow together until the harvest time comes, and then I will have the reapers, the people who harvest the crops, pick out the weeds first, tie them up in bundles, and burn them in the fire. But I'll gather the wheat safely and unharmed into my barn. A preview of next week. A preview of next week. What we learn in this parable what we learn in this parable. Again, remember, this is part one, so you have to come back next week to get the whole story. This is part one, but here's a preview of next week. Number one, what we learn in this parable, Jesus did not come the first time to immediately bring about the fullness of the kingdom of heaven. Jesus did not come the first time in his first coming to bring about the fullness of the kingdom of heaven but there would be an already and a not yet. Number two, as the kingdom of heaven comes, the righteous and the wicked, the, the righteous, those who have repented of their sins and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, those who are born again, those who are genuine Christians, the righteous and the wicked, those who reject Christ, those who turn away from Christ, those who outwardly reject Christ, and those who are weeds. They might give lip service to Christ. They might show up at church. They might even become members and be baptized, but they don't know him. The wicked, the righteous and the wicked will dwell together in the world and sometimes in the church until the final judgment. Three, some of the wicked will be hypocrites and false professors in the church, in the visible church. Four, sin and the wicked 
all sin, all lawlessness, all wicked sinners, all the, the, the unrighteous will remain in the world until the final judgment. Five, there will be a great separation of the righteous and the wicked at the final judgment. There, there will be a great and final separation that will be unchangeable and immutable after it has happened. It is appointed for man once to die and then comes the judgment. There will be a final separation between the righteous and the wicked on the day of judgment. Six, we must exercise a measure of patience until the day of final judgment comes. Don't give up on people. Keep praying. Keep praying. Because if you're breathing, there's still, uh, there's still hope. There's still hope for you to be saved. We must exercise a measure of patience until the day of final judgment. Number seven, at the final judgment, all sin will cease in the kingdom. And all the wicked will justly be cast into a fiery hell forever and ever where God will punish them. At the final judgment, all sin will cease. All that offends God, He will cut it out. As my cousin said, He will nip it in the bud. And all sinners, He'll cast, along with the devil and His angels, into a fiery hell where Jesus and His Father will be present inflicting wrath on the wicked. And number eight, number eight, all the righteous will shine like the sun. They will be glorified and be with Christ forever where there's fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore. Ah, Good news for believers, right? All the righteous will shine like the sun. They will be glorified and be with Christ forever where there's fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore in the presence of Jesus. He'll wipe away every tear from our eyes. There'll be no more death. There'll be no more pain. There'll be no more suffering. There, there will be joy like you've never experienced joy. I mean, you take the, think, think of the highest heights of joy you've ever had in your life. Think about those and multiply it by 10 trillion times and know that it lasts forever and gets better every day. That's a little taste of what heaven will be like with Christ in paradise forever. This is, the, this is the destiny of the righteous. How can this happen? How can, how can we, who deserve God's judgment because of our sin, how can we have such a hope to, to be in the kingdom and shine like the sun and be with Christ forever where there's fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore? Because Jesus sowed you. Because Jesus sovereignly sowed you if you are a Christian. He sowed the good seed. He, he, he made you <laughs> through His person and work, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Friend, are you familiar with the gospel of Jesus? 
Are, are you familiar with the gospel of, of Jesus Christ? M- many people are not familiar. They think they are. They think they know. But, but I continue to ask people the question, the gospel question. I, I even ask people in the church the gospel question. If you died tonight and you stood before God, theoretical question, if you died tonight and you stood before God and God said, why should I let you into heaven, what would you say? How would you answer that? Most people say something about something they've done. I'm a good person. I come to church. I I take care of my elderly parents. I mean, I see what's on TV, Pastor, and I'm not like those people. I'm a good person. I'm not in prison. I've never killed anybody. You know, it may be really easy to feel good about yourself in Philadelphia when you watch the news. Those are all hell, hellish answers. I'm a pastor. I've been a faithful pastor for 20 years, someone might say. That's not going to get you to heaven. <laughs> I, give tith- I give my tithes. I, p- I pay my money. Pay th- I pay to God. He ought to let me in. I pay him. I pay him to let me in. No, that's not the way you get to heaven. I mean, all those answers that have anything to do with me and what I've done, my mom, you know, I'm nice, those, those all just send people to hell. What's the right answer? I'm a sinner. I, I don't deserve to go to heaven. I don't deserve to go. Do you know you don't deserve to go to heaven? Do you know that? You and I. We don't deserve to go to heaven. We, we've, the Bible says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We've broken his commandments. We, we've not lived up to God's standard. God is holy and righteous. He's perfect. To, to, to be in his presence, you must be perfect. Not one lie. Not, 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 not one evil, selfish thought. Always doing what is pleasing in God's sight. Not one hint of lust ever. Not one, t- not, not one sexual experience outside of marriage. No divorce, no adultery. Perfection in parenting, never losing your temper as a parent. You want to get to heaven? That's God's requirement. None of us have done any of that. All of us are disqualified. But that's the standard. If you want to get to heaven, answer that question that way. You've got to be perfect in thought, word, deed, by what you have done and by what you've left undone, by what you should do. And we've all sinned. We've all broken God's commandments. And and because we've done that, we deserve what the weeds get in this parable. We deserve to be bound up and thrown into the fiery furnace. There goes Jesus again, meek and mild. People view Jesus as this meek and mild hippie. There he goes again talking about hell. Hellfire brimstone. There's Jesus talking about a fiery furnace he's going to throw people in. Beloved, do you have the right vision of Jesus or do you just have the vision of Jesus in your own mind? (laughs) Because Jesus says he's going to throw people into hell. And that's what we deserve. That's what we deserve. We deserve hell for our sin. We deserve the, the destiny of the weeds. But God. But God. Sister Keisha got a t-shirt for Sister McKelton. But God. But God. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, 
hell-deserving as we are. He, he sent his son into the world to, to live a perfect life. Jesus is the only one who lived that perfect life. J Jesus is the only one who's lived up to God's standard. He's the only one. You know why? Because he's alive after he died. <laughs> Any Muslims here today? Mom is dead. I, I, I want to be straight up with you. Muhammad is dead. Any Buddhist here today? Buddha is dead. Confucius is dead. Any Hindus that worship stones? They're dead. Jesus died and rose. J Jesus lived a perfectly obedient life. He never sinned. He loved and thought word and deed. He, he did everything that the Father called him to do. And then he died on that cross where he suffered the fiery furnace we deserve. He, he was treated like a weed. He was treated like, like a weed. He was treated and, and, and punished with the wrath of Almighty God, his Father. He suffered the wrath and curse and judgment of God. And he died. And he was buried. You think about what Jesus suffered for you, Christian. Think about what he suffered. I'm, I'm, I'm doing as a pastor, I'm trying to do more formal pastoral visits on Saturday mornings. And, and those have been as much of a blessing to me as I hope they've been to some of you that I've been, begun doing this with. And I was, I was doing one with Sister Lena uh, and, and she brought up something in, in, in Scripture I've never thought of, but has been an anchor to my soul the, these past few weeks. And, and it was about Cain. I wonder if any of you have ever thought of this. Remember, remember Cain? Sometimes the pains of life can be overwhelming. And you remember Cain felt that way. Remember he killed his brother Abel? And God said, I'm going to punish you. Remember what Cain said? My punishment is too great for me to bear. Too much. Too much. I wonder if you've ever been there, not because you murdered somebody or, or necessarily because the Lord was punishing you, but just because of what you face in life, but because of the pains, the sufferings, the losses, the anxieties, you feel like it's too much. Too great and you cry out to God Lord it's too much this is too much I, I've been dealing with this for decades Lord it's too much it's too great it's too great for me to bear this made me think of the words of Amy Carmichael if I do not feel far more for the grieved Savior than for my worried self when troublesome things occur, then I know nothing of Calvary love. If I do not feel far more grieved, if I do not feel far more for the grieved Savior than for my worried self when troublesome things occur, then I know nothing of Calvary love. In other words, in that too much moment, in that too much moment, one of the things we ought to try to do as Christians is begin to move our minds away from ourselves and our struggles and our losses and our pains and move our minds to fix, to be fixed on the Lord Jesus Christ, whose pain and loss was infinitely more than we could ever dream or imagine.
and feel more for Him than for our worried selves. Which made me think of Him. Our glorious, sorrowful, suffering Savior. When the sorrows seem too much to bear, Jesus knows. Jesus is there. Jesus will help. Jesus was burned up by God's wrath like the weeds, so we never will be. Christ Jesus' greatest sorrows bore. He, he bore greater sorrows than you and I could ever imagine. Christ Jesus' greatest sorrows bore. Like Cain who murdered and made war. Too much my punishment, his roar. But Christ was righteous. Yet he wore all sins like murder, hate, and more. Upon his body bruised with gore, he's treated like our filth, a whore. He's made our sin, God does abhor. And from the Father's presence tore, my God forsaken was his roar. Crushed, cursed, and struck, he died for your sins and sorrows, sick and sore. But then he rose, he is the door to eternal life and more. On you compassion he will pour. In your too much he'll make you soar to heights of joy. Trust therefore, even on the weeping floor. You ever been on the weeping floor? Even on the weeping floor, He'll make your joys soar. He'll raise you up with hope. He swore. Wipe every tear, none anymore. Since Christ forever, you'll adore. Too much pleasures evermore. This is the promise of Christ for us. This is what He endured for us on the cross. So that we will shine like the sun someday. One last thought. Some of you have heard that video by Tim Keller where he goes through the Bible and talks about Jesus is the true and better this. Jesus is the true and better Adam. He's the true and better Noah. He's the true and better Abraham. He's the true and better David. True and better, true and better, true and better. And Sister Lena, with her help, made me think of the true and better Cain. Jesus is the true and better Cain who is totally innocent cried out to his father in Gethsemane that his punishment was too great to bear. You remember that in Gethsemane? When he was being pressed, Gethsemane means olive press, and Jesus was being pressed like an olive, so much so that blood was coming out of his body. And he, he's, he's like, in, in a similar way of Cain, he's saying, too much, too great. This is, good. this is too great, Lord. If there's any other way, take this cup, Father. Too much, too much. But he said, not your will. I mean, not my will. But he said, your will be done to his father. And he bore that wrath. He bore that wrath. He bore that curse. He died. He was buried. And then he rose up from the dead to save every murderer like Cain and every sinner who repents and believes in the Lord Jesus Christ. Friend, have you done that today? Are you a weed today and you need to believe and become a son of the kingdom? Would you believe on him today? Would you trust in Jesus today? The Bible says you can't work for this. You can't earn it. 
You can simply receive it by faith alone in Christ alone. God's word to you is, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. His word to you is believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. Would you do that today? If, 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 if you have questions about that, find me. I'll be here afterwards. Find another Christian and speak to them. Do business with God today and be saved. And for those of you who are believers, those of you who are sons of the kingdom, wow, what a future you have to look forward to when you will shine in the kingdom and be with your king forever where he'll wipe away every tear from your eyes and satisfy you forever and all that's sad will become untrue as one author says. This is our hope for those who believe on the Lord Jesus. Father, we thank you for the words of Christ. We thank you for the truths of the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. We thank you for the gospel through which we can become members of the kingdom. Father, we pray that you would awaken weeds this morning. If there's anyone here, Lord God, who is a weed, who is an unbeliever, who's a tear, who maybe is even a member that, 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 that knows they've not done true business with Jesus, we pray they would today and you would save them. Father, we pray for people who know they're unbelievers. We ask, oh God, that your spirit would be at work and you would cause them to be born again. And Father, we pray for your people. Lord, we ask that you would comfort our hearts. We pray that you would, would cause us to have a holy fear of you, Lord, that we would tremble at your word and that we would have uh, indestructible joy at what you promise us, that we will be gathered into your barn. You're, you're going to work in history to make, make sure no weed harms us that we are not uprooted or taken away with any weed. You're going to make sure you're, you're working everything in our lives for our eternal and everlasting good to ensure we are safely harvested and brought into your barn forever and ever and ever where we'll shine like the sun. Oh, Father, encourage us today. Encourage us to hate sin more. God, encourage us to, to kill idols in our lives. Encourage us to pursue Christ more, to love Him more, to delight in Him more, to serve Him more, to find our joy in Him more. And may what we sing, God, and what we profess with our lips be true of our hearts and our feelings and our thoughts and our way of life. May we delight ourselves in You, O oh God, for Jesus' sake. Amen.